First Thessalonians chapter one, verse one. Paul, uh, Paul's Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know that what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all of Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who will deliver us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, thank You. (laughs) Thank You we're escaping that wrath. Thank You that we're sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit and the job of the Holy Spirit is to get us from this place to You in the clouds before the wrath is poured out on this world. And so, Lord, we pray that You would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts this morning to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. Bless us and minister to us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Great stuff. This is going to be an awesome book. I know I say that about every book we get into, but they're all awesome. They're all my favorites. And this one in particular because it's an encouragement to me that there's no limits to the Holy Spirit. That God can take a new believer and straighten me out. And there's nothing worse than when you've been in the Lord 20, 30 years and some kid that's been in the Lord three weeks comes up and exhorts you or rebukes you by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing I don't enjoy more than when God uses my wife to correct me. But He does. And so we have to humble ourselves and realize that whether you're in the Lord for 20 years or whether you've only been in the Lord for 20 days, we have the same Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit can do amazing things in a young believer and an old believer. Unfortunately, the Holy Spirit only has, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to be mean, but I, I think I think young believers yield themselves to the Holy Spirit sometimes more than old believers. I believe that young believers oftentimes have more zeal to serve God than old seasoned vets. Not in all cases. But I love it when I see someone that's been in the Lord 20, 30, 40, 50 years and they're still so excited about Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at today. Are you excited about Jesus? Do you have the joy of the Lord? Do you have works of faith? Do you you love laboring for Jesus Christ? Are you patient and waiting for the hope of Christ's return? 
Do you believe Jesus could come at any time? If you believe that, guess what? We'll get busy. Why? He's worth it. Because I'm going to tell you something today is that the greatest motivator in this world is love. And you're going to do whatever you love the most. And if you love Jesus, you know why Paul was such a dynamo? Because he realized how much God had done for him. He was so appreciative. He realized that God took him from hell to heaven. He was going to give him a new body. The promises of God. Eternal life. And that just blew Paul's mind so much that each and every day he's like, I just got to serve him. I just love him so much. His grace, his mercy that he shows us. Sometimes we forget. I know I do. I don't know about you. Sometimes I forget the grace and the mercy that God has shown me. And I got to remind myself. Thessalonica was in the area of Macedonia, it was a port city full of commerce. It was a city where that great like Roman highway that was first built, like a freeway in those days, was built and came right through Thessalonica. It was a place of money-making. Some say a population of over 200,000 people back then. That's a lot of people. We don't have that much on this island. And along when you've got world trade, over 200,000 people, you probably got over 200,000 gods. Mount Olympus was there. There was all kinds of false worship. And Paul comes into this place and he immediately goes to the synagogues. Why? Because he went to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. That was just like his thing. He had a heart for the Jews. And he reasoned with them for three Sabbaths. Many Jews got saved. A, a abundance of Greeks got saved. And it says a whole bunch of important ladies got saved. And the church just took off. Just exploded growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because why? Because the people were willing to submit themselves unto God and receive everything He had for them. Are you willing to receive everything that God has for you today? Woo! I am. Paul had witnessed the power of the Gospel going out in Thessalonica in such a way it was notable. Don't you love it when you see something happen and you go, that's the Holy Spirit. And then there's sometimes that people do things and you're like, I'm not sure. But there's times when you see a move of the Spirit, you're just like, that's the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul saw. And I like it when I see that. I like that when I experience that. You love it when you experience. When you come in contact with somebody and you start to share the gospel and all of a sudden these verses are just flowing off your lips and you're like, man, that's good. It ain't you. It's the Holy Spirit just saying, say this verse. Now say this verse. And say it with passion. And that person gets saved and you rejoice. You're like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. 
That's because you yield yourself to the true and living God and he used you in a mighty way. He did it all. All glory to him. Amen? I love it when I see the Holy Spirit moving. I remember when we came back here after the whole COVID shutdown and, and uh, we opened up and, and the crazy thing about after we opened up was a lot of people never came back to church. They were afraid. They got used to watching it on YouTube. That was comfortable. Why, why go to church? We can just watch it right here while we eat our, you know, bacon and eggs in our PJs with our, while we're texting. And some were just fearful. And, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging that. I, I get that. But there was a lot of people that never came back to church. And then there was this ma- amazing influx of people who had never been to church that came and filled those seats. And we're hungry because all during that shutdown, I can't tell you how many times people came up to our staff and to me and said, is this the end times? Is this, is this the tribulation? Is, is this what the Bible's talking about? And, you know, we had to settle them down. We're not in the tribulation. It hasn't happened yet. Yes, we will have much tribulation leading up to that, but when the tribulation come, it's going to be like the world's never seen. So calm yourself done, down, receive Jesus, and go on living for the King. And we saw, I remember that one Sunday morning that we saw like 40, 50 people come forward and get saved at all services right here. And I'm like, that's a move of the Spirit. It was nothing I said. It was the gospel going out and people's hearts being changed and doing a U-turn and receiving Jesus Christ and coming forward. You know how scary it is to get up out of your seat and come forward? Oh my gosh, everybody's going to be looking at me. What are they going to think? Not saved, getting saved. I'll tell you what, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ and you want to get saved after the service and you come up here, this whole church will rejoice. Not only this church, but everyone in heaven will rejoice. Paul saw an amazing move of the Spirit. And that was the witness that the power of the Gospel went out to the Thessalonians and he saw the evidence because of their reaction to it. In verse 1, he opens with Paul and and Silas and Timothy. These were the ones. This was the second missionary journey. You remember Paul wanted to go with Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to get Mark. They got in a heated argument. Uh, Mark and Barnabas went one way. Paul and Silas went another way. And, And I think Paul was right and Barnabas was right. Mark needed encouragement, but Mark wasn't ready to go on another journey with Paul. And what happened? Right out of the gate, him and Silas got beat and thrown in prison in Philippi. And then after they left Philippi was when they came to Thessalonica. Timothy's with them, Silas is with them, and he says there in verse 1, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church of. You can just put your name there. In God. To the church of the Kilauans. Where are you, Kilauans? You're in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What defines a church? Not this building, because a lot of times I'm here and there's nobody here. You are the church, you are where Christ dwells the temple of the Lord. Wherever we gather, 
whether it's here in Hanalei, on a mountaintop, out in the water. That's the church. And we're gathering in His name. Ambassadors for Christ. He says His common greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He always says that. Grace and peace, grace and peace. He never says peace and grace. You can't experience the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. It's by grace that you're saved. As soon as you receive Jesus Christ, then you can receive the peace of God. Now, a lot of Christians have peace with God, but they don't have the peace of God. What is it? Uh, Romans 5.1 that says, Wherefore we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you get saved, you experience the grace of God, you have peace with God, but a lot of Christians don't have the peace of God, which speaks of Someone who, no matter what they're going through, they don't lose their joy. Why? I got the peace of God. Aren't you worried about everything that's about to happen? No, I laid it at Jesus' feet. It's His problem. Aren't you scared? No, He loves me. Whatever happens, it's going to work out for the good. Oh, it might be uncomfortable, but I'll see the big picture in the end. And ultimately, I'm out of here. <laughs> so he says, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we get into this next portion, it's, gosh, there's so much here. It's so exciting. He, he says, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. There's that, those famous three words. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Number two. The key to everything in a Christian walk is love. Love God with all you got. Love your neighbor. And if you do that, you're going to do well. He says there, your work of faith. Don't misunderstand that. Your works doesn't save you. That's not what he's saying. Your work of faith, that implies that you already had faith. And what's the result of that faith? Your works. You're turning from the old ways and turning towards God and doing the things of Him. That there's fruit. We're saved by faith and faith alone. you got a lot of people pushing. It's all about works. But when you push works, here's the thing. You never have assurance. You never know where you're going. You don't know if your good outweighed the bad. You don't know if you're going to measure up and make it. I, I'm glad I have assurance. Because it's not based on my performance. It's based on His performance and what He did. We're not saved by works. But our lives should produce good works. Why? Because we love Jesus. Those works don't make me any more righteous. They don't bring me more justification. But it lets everybody know who I love and trust. Like I said, love is the greatest motivator in the world. We're saved by faith and faith alone. Ephesians 2.8 says, for, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Get that? doesn't say works. 
You are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. If you were working at it and earning it, it wouldn't be a gift. Does your employer hand you your check at the end of the week and say, here's a gift for you, and you're like, shut up, I earned this. You want to give me a gift? Give me a bonus. We are saved by, we are saved by faith. Not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's why we're not saved by works. Because heaven wouldn't be heaven if we were all up there boasting how we got there. I mean, you, you hear people when they give their testimonies, it's almost like a testimony contest. Who was the most rotten and came to Jesus? Oh, is that all you did? I did this. Oh, you did, I did this. It's like, stop. Let's just keep it simple. I was an idiot. I got saved. Because if we could earn our way to heaven, we'd all be up there boasting. That's why he throws this all in there. It's a gift from God, none of your works, because you would boast. In Galatians 2.16, he says, Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Why? Because you can't keep the law. Oh, I know you're better than you used to be, but you still can't keep it. And now Jesus paid the price on the cross. We are no longer under the law, but under a greater law, the law of the Spirit, the law of grace. We are dead to the law because we put our, our trust in Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. When Jesus was being asked in John 6 by a works-driven people, what must we do? They said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and he said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. It's all about faith. It's all about faith. It's all about what he did. I can't earn my salvation. I can't earn my righteousness because Isaiah told me my righteousness is as filthy rags. My, what's that mean? My best stuff is his filthy rags compared to Jesus' righteousness. So I want to be under his blood. I want to be covered by him. It's all about faith. And the Thessalonians welcomed that. But what you've got to understand about true faith is that it produces works. It produces works. So when he says there, your work of faith He's not saying you have to work to be saved. He's saying that now your saving faith, the faith putting your trust in Jesus Christ, will produce fruit in your life, and that will be the evidence to everybody else that you're going forward for Jesus. You know, when people tell me they're Christian and their life looks the same as when they said they got saved, I tend to question it. Now, it's not up to me to judge, but we are fruit inspectors, right? So if you're still acting the same way today as when you were not saved, there's something wrong. A work of faith is not to obtain justification. It's not to obtain righteousness. I'm righteous and justified by my faith in Jesus Christ. My good works are a response for what God has done for me. 
Don't you ever appreciate when somebody just like goes out of their way to bail you out? I mean, you got yourself in a real tough pickle and somebody came to your rescue. God sent them. And, and you, you know, and you're like, bro, I'm there for you whenever you you call anytime. Right. Here's why you appreciate it. And when you really understand the depths of what Jesus Christ has done for you and your life and your life for the future, you're just going to go, oh, hands down, I'm serving this guy forever. He's so worth it. And the more you serve, the more blessings you receive, and the more blessings you receive, the more you serve, and the more you serve, the more blessings, and you're just like, oh, man, I'm just, I'm over the top. Some people think it's, you know, it's a burden to serve God. Well, then you better ask yourself, do you really love God? Sorry about that. Now, I don't want you to confuse this, this works of faith because sometimes people will say that James talks about our works or what's most important in order to be saved. That is so untrue. And there are those who will say that James disagrees with Paul. That is so untrue. Paul and James are on the same page. James knows you're saved by grace, by faith, faith alone, but that produces good works. Paul knows you're saved by grace, by faith, faith alone, but that produces works of faith. They're on the same page. James says in James 2.17, Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So don't tell me you're a Christian and your life hasn't changed. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And then down in verse 26, he says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What is he saying? He's saying you're saved by faith. But that faith produces good works in the heart of a genuine believer. Works of faith means when you get saved, you start doing stuff that saved people do. Start coming to church. You start reading your Bible. You start praying. You start serving. You start giving. You start loving on others. You start forgiving. And you desire the fellowship of the brethren. I don't know about you, but Sundays and Wednesdays in here is where I feel the best. And then he says, not only remembering without ceasing your works of faith, but labor of love. Is your service to God a labor of love? Because works of faith are a labor of love. Right? I mean, that's what describes works of faith. It's a labor of love. So what I do for Jesus is not because I have to, it's because I get to. I am so psyching before I get up here every Sunday, but with fear and trembling because I don't want to get up here by myself. But I love sharing the Word of God. 
I love being ready to have an answer for every man. I love interaction out in the community when someone says, Pastor, what does this verse mean? And I want to know this Bible so well that I have an answer. Labor of love defines what the works of faith are. And the true example is always Jesus. Look what he left because he loved you so much. Come on, he left glory. I know you can't wrap your head around that until that first moment you're there. But it's better than anything you've ever figured out. And he left all that to come to this dirt ball to die for us. That's a labor of love, sacrifice, caring. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You know who is a great example of a labor of love? Moms. Moms. I'm not even going to say dads. I'm going to say moms are a greater example. Why? Unconditional love. It's nonstop. Moms don't check out at 6 o'clock. The job ain't over. That baby cries in the middle of the night. Mom's up. Right? Dad's not up. Well, some of you might once in a while, but it's mom. Moms. You're not only moms. Your teachers, your nurses, your chefs, your chauffeurs, your accountants, your bookkeepers. And if you added up all those jobs yearly, you should be making about $1.5 a year. I really thought I'd get a big amen from the ladies right there. Okay. When you see a mom always, always, always working to get her kids ready for school, to brush their teeth, to make sure they're, they're, they took in a shower, make sure they got clean clothes, make sure they got food, they got a lunch to take, to make sure they're okay when they're sick. It's mom that's with that kid. That's a labor of love. And our walk with God should be a labor of love to where we're so excited to serve. Hey, we're doing an outreach. Awesome! Let's do it! So excited. I can't believe I get to share the Word of God. I can't believe I get to serve God. I can't believe I get to give to God. I can't believe I get to go on missions and do outreaches. This is awesome. I get to witness people get saved. I get to witness families healed. I get to witness drug addicts and alcoholics come to Jesus and be turned around and transformed. And that all comes from love because it's the strongest motivator to serve. Works of faith are a labor of love. What does that mean? No griping. I get bummed when I get around people in ministry that are griping. Oh, I can't believe nobody's helping. It's like I'm always doing this all by myself. Where we got to get more people to do this. I'm all alone here. Nobody appreciates me. No, nothing. I'm doing this, and I'll go. Oh well, I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm like, then stop. 
God doesn't want any gripers. If you're griping in ministry, you shouldn't be in ministry. And if you're griping in ministry and you think you should be in ministry, then repent. Return to your first love. You get to do what you get to do because Jesus called you here to do it. And it's nice when somebody says, attaboy, and pats you on the back, but you know what? I don't need that because I'm doing it for him. And when I'm doing it for him, I'm not going to get discouraged. No griping. Why? In 1 Corinthians 13.3, it says this. Check this out. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits nothing. But I gave all this money to charity, and I supported this missionary group. Yeah, but your heart wasn't right when you did it. You didn't do it with love. You, do, you did it to be seen. You did it to be heard. And too many people are serving in ministry worldwide today to be seen and to be heard and to get the attaboys and the pats on the back. And if they don't get that, they're gone. The true believers are there thick and thin. Through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Why? Because they love God. They love to serve. So he says... Your work of faith, your labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. The patience of hope. Hope. You know how many times those two words appear together, patience and hope? You know what we're hoping for? The return of Jesus Christ. I think any day. I think if we all think any day, we're going to be a lot more useful to the Lord. And, and hope is, is, is something you hope for is like you can't see it right now. Like, like before you guys got here, this place was empty and I was, I was kind of hoping I'd see you. But now that you're here, I'm not hoping for that anymore because you're here. But I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm hoping for Jesus to come in the clouds today. Because I'm ready to go. But until then, I want to be about his business. So my works of faith are a labor of love. And I'm patient and long-suffering waiting for him. But until then, I'll be about the Father's business. Amen? He says there in verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. I love that. The word of God came in power. The gospel is powerful. The word of God is power. And when the word goes out, even if the pastor doesn't have the right heart, that word is so powerful, people can get saved. It's like that old story, that guy that was dropped his wife off at Bible study. She was a believer. He wasn't. He goes in all angry, pulls into the bar, goes up to the bar, starts ordering drinks. The guy next to him is kind of snibbling and crying. And, you know, he's like, what's wrong with you? And he goes, oh, I'm having problems with my wife. And, you know, like this. And he's going, yeah, you're having problems. My wife's a born again believer. I have to drop her off at church. She's always like putting tracks in my lunchbox. She's like got the music blaring and the, the, the Christian radio thing going everywhere I go. She drives me nuts. And we only have one car. I got to drop her off. And so I'm coming here to get tanked before I got to go back and pick her up. 
She's all into this Jesus thing, telling me that I need Jesus, that Jesus died for me, that Jesus paid for my sins on the cross, that Jesus rose from the dead, and if I put my trust in Jesus, I'll be born again and I'll have eternal life. And so he's venting, and this guy next to him just lost his wife, and he's just, he's like, <laughs> you mean all I need to do is trust in Jesus and ask for forgiveness, and I'll, I'll, I'll go to heaven? Yeah, that's what she says. Here's this guy preaching the gospel with contention, and here's this other guy that receives Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel. You could have the wrong heart and people still get saved. If you're up here to have the, the preeminence to be applauded, to have that power and authority, your heart's wrong, God will deal with you. But as long as that guy's teaching the Bible, it's going to go out in power. Now remember that when you go to share the gospel. Don't just go up to somebody and give them words. Yes, the Word of God is powerful, but how much more powerful is the Word of God when before you start to talk to the man about God, you go to God about the man? I'm coming up to somebody and I'm thinking, oh man, this could be an opportunity to meet Jesus will fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. Give me wisdom to talk to this guy. Or maybe you get confronted with something, you realize here is an opportunity right in your heart, in your science to say, Lord, fill me afresh. Whatever I say, I want it to come in power of the Holy Spirit. I know, I know you guys, I know you guys, I know the guys in the next service, I know how many times God has given you power to do things in His name, and it is awesome. And being in Christ Jesus, He, he speaks there of us having an assurance. I know where I'm going, I don't even doubt it. You could argue with me that you don't believe it. I don't care. I'm going. If you're here today and you're works-driven, you have no assurance. That's why all this religion out there is not going to make it. Because you have to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and believe He did the work. Take the gift and live forever. Amen? In verse 6, he says, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. So, you know, Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And so they saw what God was doing in Paul's life, and so they turned their life over to the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. They, they received the word with much affliction because why? Because Paul came in there freshly beaten from Philippi, probably looking pretty bad, him and Silas. They got smoked in Philippi. They show up. They're still oozing. They're still weeping, you know, and just, you know, not much to look at. Paul preaches for three Sabbaths. A church just explodes. But Paul and Silas get run out of town. So much so that when they went to Berea, that's where they went to, that the same crew that ran them out of town followed them to Berea to run them out of there. They wanted them dead pretty much. So he says, you receive this gospel with much assurance, with joy, in the midst of affliction. What are you going through today? How's your joy? That was for me. And so he says in verse 7 through 10, he says, so that you 
became examples to all Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In verse 7, he says, you were examples. I like that. To all in Macedonia and Achaia. You were examples. They saw the witness of a transformed life. You and I are to be examples. In verse 8, he says, you guys were enthusiastic about your new faith. And you couldn't keep quiet. You just went and you know, shared it with everybody. The whole region has been affected by you. How about you? Have you affected your whole workplace? Your whole family? The boys at the beach? Being an example, being enthusiastic. And then we find out in verse 9 and 10 that they were an expectant people. Why? They're waiting for Jesus. They were expecting Him to show up. In just three weeks, Paul taught them the gospel, how to get saved, how to serve, how to make disciples. Talked to them about the rapture of the church, Jesus coming in the clouds for His church. Taught them about the tribulation. Taught them about the Antichrist, the second coming, God's wrath, that they weren't appointed under wrath that God would take them out. They were excited. They were excited. They were living with the expectation that Jesus could come any day. And I tell you, when we do that, our life will change. Because if you knew He was coming tomorrow, I will take everyone here to lunch after the service. <laughs> right? I will go try once more with that person that doesn't want to talk to me. I will go do all I can because I know I only have a few hours to give someone the gospel. And he wants us to live like that each and every day. The thing that blows my mind I mean, really stop and think about this. I was talking with this with the guys on staff on Tuesday or Wednesday. We got into this topic about seeing people get saved and immediately just on fire for God, ready to serve, and the importance of getting them plugged in right away. Paul started a church within three weeks and appointed leaders and left. How can you do that? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, see, he saw something that others didn't see. He saw the Holy Spirit moving 
in the midst of the people, and he knew confirmation from the Lord, this church is going to be okay. And in three weeks, appointed leaders and walked away knowing that God could grow this church and knowing that these people were so given over to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord Jesus that Paul didn't have to worry about them. And as he writes this letter, he says, wow, I left and you guys went ballistic. All through Macedonia, KI, you were examples, you were enthusiastic. The word has gone out in power. Why? Because of their witness. Their works of faith, their labor of love, the patience of hope. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Father, we thank you um, for the reminder. Holy Spirit, fill us afresh right now as we walk out these doors to go out into all of Macedonia and Achaia here on Kauai. This is our region that you've given us to be examples, to be enthusiastic, And to be expectant. So we pray that you give us strength that only you can give us to go out there and do your will and to see the movement of the Holy Spirit in people's life. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.